This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Going through the book of Romans verse by verse, uh, we find ourselves in, um, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 18 if you want to turn there in your Bible. If you have the Hui Kala app on your mobile device, if you don't, I'd encourage you to get it because of this. Uh, on the Hui Kala app, if you download that, you can click on our series Romans. Uh, you can click on today's message. And then there's a button that says fill in notes. If you click on that, it's going to pop open a web browser so you can take a look at Everything we're going to cover today, every verse that I'm going to quote, everything that I'm going to say that's going to come up on the screen, you can have that on your mobile device through the Hui Kala app. And so I'd encourage you, if you don't yet have that, get that. If not, grab a sheet of paper, jot down some thoughts as we go through this heavy passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, I also want to give you a caveat on this. First of all, we find ourselves in pretty deep water in Romans chapter 1. Uh, the, probably the first 17 verses are uh, pleasantries, introductions. Paul talks about great things he's heard about the church at Rome. Can't wait to get there. Can't wait to preach the gospel. Then verse number 18, we kind of turn a corner here, and he begins to talk about the wrath of God. When he begins to talk about the wrath of God, he talks about those people who reject God and how their life devolves into degeneracy. And then it goes from bad to really bad to a whole lot worse. And so we find ourselves today here probably at the really bad section, I guess you could say. Uh, We haven't gotten to as bad as it gets. We'll get over there in the next couple of weeks. Uh, But I just want to encourage you to stay with this, stay engaged, because it gets better. Uh, And by by better, I don't mean like the content gets better or the, the, the message is crummy. I'm talking about the hope that we find in Jesus only gets better. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to stick with this passage of Scripture. If you want to read ahead this week and read through the end of Romans chapter 1, I'd encourage you to do that so you can be ready for next Sunday. So if you're a first-time guest, let me just tell you, you came in the midst of probably one of the heaviest passages of Scripture that's ever been preached in this church, in the history of our church. And so uh, it's heavy stuff, so if you walk out of there, you're going, wow, that was pretty intense. It, it is, I agree with you. But uh, let me just tell you this, it's going to keep getting better. So uh, strap in, it's going to be good. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 18. Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome. He's never visited this church before. He's excited about going to see them. Again, I told you, probably first 17 verses, I'm really excited. I can't wait to come see you. I've heard so many good things about you. I want to be a blessing to you. I want you to be a blessing to me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to them that believe. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Then we get to verse number 18, and he says this. Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. For the wrath of God, this is God's anger, his judgment against sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 20 is really critical because it tells us everybody knows that there's a God. God has showed himself unto everybody, and nobody can say that they didn't know, again, in the verse number 20, because God's revealed it to them so that they're without excuse. 
But the problem comes in in verse number 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto their vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I spent the last 20 years of my life trying to help people find Jesus. Uh, to spend time talking with people, asking people about their faith. Hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you go to heaven? What do you believe happens after we die? Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? If you do, how do you get to heaven? How do you stay out of hell? And just have, try to have conversations with people about what they believe. Now, it's important. I want to hear what people have to say. But at the end of the day, everything, everything has to come back to what does the Bible say? Because really, your opinion at the end of the day doesn't matter a lot. My opinion doesn't really matter a lot. What you think, what I think doesn't really amount to a hill of beans. What does the Bible say? And so we've got to go back to the Bible as the source of truth for us. And so I'll often ask people, hey, what do you believe about the Bible? And they'll say things like, well, I'm a, not a religious person, but I consider myself to be a spiritual person. That's always interesting to me because you're recognizing there's something out there. You might not know what it is. You might not be able to put a name or a label on it, but you recognize there's something bigger than you out there and you're just unsure what it is. Or maybe you have feelings and emotions that you don't know how to process outside of your own self, but you recognize that there's something out there in the universe. Again, oftentimes, sometimes people say, well, I'm not religious at all. I believe, you know, whatever you see is what you get. Uh, I wasn't here before I was born. I won't be here after I'm dead. And so only thing that matters is what takes place in the middle, okay? But then the question comes, who determines who's right and who's wrong? Now, again, you and I would like to argue that we're right and everybody else is wrong. But really, at the end of the day, it's not about me being right or you being right. It's about what does God say? And God tells us, we took a look at the verse here, verse number 20, that God's revealed himself unto all men. Everybody knows that there's a God. They're without excuse, according to verse number 20 here. But then why do people reject? Important thing to know about mankind. Man is a worshiper by default. It's not a matter of if you worship. It's a matter of what you worship. And so... We were created to look for something outside of ourselves, greater than ourselves, bigger than ourselves, to be a part of, to latch on to, to try to make some sense of the things that we see. We can't process the idea that we're here for no reason. We can't just accept the fact that we're an accident. 
that, that this life is the only thing that it has to offer. If all this life has to offer is this, why be kind to other people? Why treat other people with respect? Why not step on everybody that you need to to get what you want if this life is all that truly matters? But deep down inside, we know that that isn't true. But also, Romans chapter 1 tells us that people don't want God to be God. Because here's the thing, if God is who he says that he is, then we need to follow him. If God really is God, then he has rules for you and I to follow. Well, that makes us uncomfortable. Because there's certain things that God says to do that I don't really want to do. There's things that God tells me to do that's going to require me to not do the things that I really want to do to be able to do the things that God wants me to do, which I don't even want to do. And so there's this disconnect. So, according to Romans chapter 1, people take God out of his rightful place as God, and we set him to the side. And we find something else that will be a better God that we can listen to all the time. And we place that in God's place. This is what the Bible calls idolatry. Everybody worships something. For the person who says there is no God, their God has become themselves. For people who say like, well, I don't really follow religion, I just follow the science. Science has become their God. For people who say, well, I don't believe anything if I can't see it, or if I can't make sense of it for myself, then you're taking God out of his place and you put yourself at the top. We live in a society today where you can choose from any of the many gods that are available uh, at your disposal. You can choose money. Uh, you can choose sex. Uh, you can choose status. You can choose education. You can choose your career. You choose your kid's education. And we place all these things of greater importance above God. So it's not a matter of if we worship, it's a matter of what we worship. Now, again, it's really important that we define terms. What does the word worship mean? The definition I've given for you today that worship is an act that's performed or an expression of emotion in response to the majesty, greatness, and infinite value of Jesus Christ. The Bible word for worship literally means to lay face down in front of. Old Testament, you see people come before God in his presence, they laid face down. When Jesus on the Sea of Galilee calmed the storm, he spoke to the, the winds and the waves and they obeyed it. The Bible says that they in the, the, the boat worshipped him. They fell down on front of their face before him. Now when you and I worship God corporately together here on a Sunday morning, we don't all get down on the ground. There wouldn't be enough room for that. It might be a little bit awkward to step over people and stuff like that. But here's the idea of worship. My heart is in that position of being face down. I recognize how high God is and how low I truly am. Again, that man that told me, I understand that Jesus forgives my sins, but I feel so unworthy. He was expressing worship. I can't believe that the infinite God of the universe would send his only son to die for a wretched, pathetic sinner like me. I am so undeserving. He recognized how low he is, how great God is, and that was worship. Now, worship is any expression of emotions, the act that I do to proclaim the greatness of God. So stick with me for just a second. Big time pet peeve that I have. I got a lot of them, but here, here's one of my big ones, right? Big time pet peeve when people say things like, oh man, the worship was so great at church this morning, wasn't it? Oh yeah, worship was great. Worship team, man, they crushed it. 
you're misunderstanding worship to mean the songs that you sing in church, which may or may not be worship. Because worship isn't a song. Worship is my heart being engaged with the heart of God. That's what worship is. And so, Angela, I went to a, to a, a church service one time, uh, and during the music portion of the, the service, which they would have called, hey, we're getting ready to get into the worship time, which for them, worship time meant music portion. They get up there, outstanding band. I mean, like top notch. You can tell they've done a lot of practice, a lot of uh, performances. Uh, I mean, the lights moved with the key changes, and I mean, like fog rolled in to bring in the Spirit of God into the auditorium. Incredibly exquisite performance. But the songs that they're singing, I don't really, I don't know them. I don't connect with them. They're, They're difficult to sing. The, the way that the, the musicians on stage are singing, they're hitting notes that are like way outside of my range. And then there's a section of the, the song where they do this like, woo woo, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, am I supposed to sing along with the woo woos? Or is the woo woo a guy part and the girls do the yeah yeahs? Or the thoroughly confused by this. And then I realize as I look around, nobody else is singing, they're watching. And so some people are talking back and forth between them, and other people are like uh, getting coffee, and other people are scrolling their Instagram while the worship team leads us into worship. And I thought to myself, whatever's going on here is not worship, outstanding performance, like highly entertaining, but no one's heart was engaged. That's not worship. Some of you today... I love you to death, and I'm going to help you with this, okay? I'm not upset with you, not angry with you. I'm just going to help you. Some of you today sang words on a screen that you didn't think about, that had no heart connection for you, that you moved your mouth along, and you thought to yourself, when is this going to be over so I can sit down? That wasn't worship. And again, I'm not upset with you. I want to help you to become a better worshiper. I want you to think about the words that we sing. When I am lost, when I am broken, in times of fear and doubt, I can trust in my good Father to one great king I bow. Oh, that, that like hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I got choked up and was struggling to sing the words because I thought about in the depths of my despair how close my Savior truly is. How in the garden he persisted. I may never truly know the the fearful weight of true obedience. That Jesus Christ went to the garden of Gethsemane and he wept and he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And he said, Father, if this cup can pass for me, what's the cup? The cup was the cup of God's wrath that was getting ready to be poured out upon my Savior. Why? Because of my sin. And Jesus' response was, Father, not my will but yours be done. And man, like as I sang that, I just was gripped. Oh, my soul. And then to... Get to the end of the song. Now as your church, we lift our voice and sing. All of us that are saved and the redeemed children of God gather together as the body of Christ and the heart cry of our souls is, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And like, I was just absolutely overwhelmed. But to think, there are people here this morning, exact same room, Exact same experience, exact same song, and you thought, 
I've never heard this song before in my life. Like, why don't we sing songs that I listen here on K-Love, you know? Uh, why don't we sing Good, Good Father, you know? Never on my watch, just let me say that, okay? Because here's the thing. It's not about songs you like, songs I like, the beat. It's about drawing our heart towards the heart of God. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Like, what? So deep. Again, Jesus paid it all. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't pay part of it. Jesus didn't pay most of it. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left this crimson, this red stain on my life that I tried as I might. I could not get rid of. But you know what Jesus did? He washed it white as snow. And like as we sang, I was just like, oh, that's so good. That's worship. Now again, if you're just saying words on the song that you had no connection to, that you didn't really mean, that you didn't think about, that you didn't process, you participated in Christian karaoke this morning. Like, next week we'll get a bouncing ball for you so you know how to do it. Like, you just sang words on a screen. That's not worship. Some of you this morning got up with great anticipation. I can't wait to get to church today. I can't wait to be with God's people. I, I cannot wait to praise God with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can't wait to hear the preaching from the Word of God. And you came to church with a spirit of anticipation and a spirit of, here's the word, worship. We, we, we get our word worship from the word worth-ship. It means worthy. You came and you said, God is worthy of setting aside time on my Sunday to hear from him, to worship him, and to be with his people. But then some of you came because somebody made you come because you knew that somebody's going to text you if you didn't show up. Or maybe you came because it's really good for your kids that they get that. You'll sit in here and endure what you have to endure because your kids need this. You did the right thing, but you did it for the wrong reason, and therefore it's not worship and it's not pleasing to God. Does that make sense? So when we talk about worship, that's really important because worship is directly connected with idolatry. God's given us his word to keep our hearts right, to keep our hearts pointed heavenward. God's given us rules and guidelines in the Bible to make sure that our heart stays on track and it stays pointed at Him. Now, the problem is, you and I are rebels. We like to break the rules. I want to know what the rules are so that I don't have to follow them. Or I want to know what the rules are, and I'll give them consideration to figure out what rules I want to follow and which ones I don't. But God says, no, 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 you don't get to do it that way. Either you're going to worship me or you're not. God's first set of guidelines that he really gave was the Ten Commandments. We take a look at the Ten Commandments. The first four of those deal with worship. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make any graven images or any idols. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, again, we don't worship on Saturday. We worship on the first day of the week because it's the day that our Savior resurrected from the grave. So we gather together every Sunday, and we refer to Sunday as the Lord's Day. That's why, again, for our family, we have made a commitment several years ago. We don't do work on Sundays. We set aside Sundays as the Lord's Day. It's a day of worship for us. So those are the first four commandments, and all four of those deal with worship. 
No other gods. Don't make any idols. Don't put anything in God's place. Don't make any statues or bow down to them. Don't uh, take God's name in vain. Don't use God's name as a, a holy title for Jehovah God. And then take one day, set it aside as a day of worship to God. Now, there's six other commandments. And the six other commandments that we have deal with our interaction with other people. And those six commandments get broken due to idolatry. Such as, honor your father and mother, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness or lie against somebody, and don't covet. All six of those get broken because we break one of the first four. The last six get broken due to breaking one of the first four. Does that make sense? These are a result of idolatry. God has rules. I don't want to follow them, and so I break them. I, for example, I covet. I desire things that I don't have. I really, really want them. Why? Because I have other gods before our God. I want stuff. I lie against my neighbor. Why? Because I want to get my way. I want to have my way. I want to cover up my sin because God was not God. I steal. Why? Because God's not enough. I need more. I got to have more. And I'm willing to take something that doesn't belong to me because God has shortchanged me. God hasn't given me what I deserve and God is not enough. I commit adultery because I deserve to be happy. I want what I want, and God didn't give it to me, so I'll take what doesn't belong to me. I shall not commit murder. Somebody's done me wrong. God's not going to deal with it. I will. You might be looking at this list going, whew, man, I'm finally one that I didn't commit. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up. Jesus says in, on the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at your brother with hatred in your heart and call him an ugly name, you've committed murder already in your heart. So we don't get off the hook with that one. But why would we look at someone with hatred in our hearts? Because God wasn't enough. God did us wrong. God didn't do what he was supposed to do, so we have to take matters in our own hands. Why do we disobey and dishonor our parents? You know why? Because we hate authority. And we don't like people telling us what we can and can't do. Why? Because God's not God, we are. And so as we look at just something as simple as the Ten Commandments, it deals with worship, God is God, versus idolatry. God's a crummy God, let's get a better God. So again, even at the very beginning of God's law giving, God's guideline giving, it comes down to idolatry versus worship. The opposite of true worship is idolatry. So again, if God is not worth worshiping, let's find something else. If God's not good, let's find something that is good. If God is offensive to me, let's find something less offensive. If God keeps me back from having what I really want, let me find something that will give me what I really want. And then I'm going to put my focus there. You see, worship is living to the glory of God, the creator. Worship is saying, I want God to be pleased with my life. I don't care what kind of job I work. I don't care how much money I make. I don't care how nice my house is. I don't care what kind of car I drive or if I take the bus. 
or I ride a bicycle, or I walk on my own two feet. I really don't care because I'm not living for those things. I'm living for the Creator and His glory. God wants to give you glory from my life. That's what I want to do. That's worship. God, how can I live my life so that other people can know you? I want you to go to work tomorrow and handle yourself in such a way that you can show the love of Jesus to other people and they can see Jesus at work in you. That's worship. I want you to love your children this week so that they can see Jesus Christ in you. That's worship. Kids, I want you to love and honor your parents even when they make mistakes like parents do, even though we struggle to admit it sometimes. We make mistakes. Because I want your parents to see Jesus in you. Big brothers, big sisters, you got a responsibility to show your younger siblings what Jesus Christ looks like. How? By living a life that glorifies him. Because life, comes, life is worship. Now again, that's why I have a pet peeve that people are like, oh, the worship this week was great. The songs might have been good. And it's okay to say the worship and song was good. But sitting, listening to God's word and allowing God's word to transform my heart and my life is an act of worship today. When you walk out of here, what you do with today's message, whether you toss it over your shoulder when you walk out the front door or you allow it to soak into your heart and you change, that's an act of worship or an act of idolatry, what you do with God's word today. Because worship is life. But worship is living to the glory of God, the creator. Idolatry is living for the glory of the creation. Hey, I want to live for what makes me happy. And we see that in Romans chapter 1. If you still have your Bibles open this morning, we see that in verse number um, 25. Sorry. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Idolatry is saying, I don't want to worship God. I want to worship one of the things God created. I want to worship money. I want to worship education. I want to worship status. I want to worship what other people think of me. I want people to think well of me. I'm willing to, get this, I'm willing to make myself into someone that I'm not so that other people will like me. I'm willing to break one of the Ten Commandments, which is bearing a false witness, so that other people will be impressed by me. I'm blown away at how much garbage and lies is on social media. There's so much junk out there that just isn't real. It's like, for the lady who, you know, Posts her brand new, you know, Prada purse along with her Starbucks. Going, oh my goodness, my husband bought this for me. I measured, I married up. Ha ha ha. So blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Look, nobody knows that your husband bought you that because he was cussing you out last night and called you filthy names. You didn't. You forgot to post that part. Endured a night of abuse by my husband, so he made up for it and bought me a purse. Hashtag blessed. That's no fun, is it? That doesn't get a lot of likes. Why? So what do we do? We create a lie so that other people will think that we're something that we're not. Idolatry. And we worship the creation rather than the creator. And again, I even see, this is why I, I totally disconnected from social media. I can't handle it. My heart it can't handle it. Because, again, I even see people like, oh, so blessed to be in God's creation, you know. It's a picture of them, like, snowboarding in the Swiss Alps. It's just like, well, I never got to go to the Swiss Alps. Like, yeah, it's beautiful. It's God's creation. But, like, 
It's like a thousand dollar snowboard you got in your hands there, you know, like how much is airfare to the Swiss Alps anyways? Like where are you getting this kind of money from? Oh yeah, probably because you don't tithe, that's why. God robber, you know, and like I'm like, where did that come from, you know? <laughs> no lie. So you know what I did? I pulled the plug on it because my heart can't handle it. I just can't. For me, what other people do and what other people think of me became idolatry in my life, and I said, I, I just can't afford it. It clouds my heart. It's not good for me. And let me just tell you this. I don't want to be the old crusty copper pastor that preaches against all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Let me just tell you this. There's a direct link, and I say direct scientific link. This isn't a Bible thing. This is a science thing. Direct link between the time you spend on social media and depression and anxiety. There's a direct connection. That's a fact, scientific fact. And again, the Bible says that where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. That's a Bible fact for you. So again, not helpful. Idolatry says the creation is better than the creator. So, we need help identifying idols in our own life. Now, it's important to notice in this passage, Romans chapter 1, we're talking about the unsaved man who is wholly given over, completely given over to idolatry. And the end result of that. It's not talking about Christians, those that are born again. But let me just tell you, Christians are just as susceptible to idolatry as anybody else. And we need to check our hearts. And we need to identify idols in our life. For example, what do you treasure the most? What's the most important thing in the world to you? I, I think for most of us, we would say, like, family. You know, ask people, hey, what are your priorities? Oh, faith, family, and freedom or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> faith, faith, family, and friends or something like that. Faith, family, and bacon. I like that. That's good. <laughs> Priorities. But again, what do you treasure the most? And the question is, is that idolatry? Now, again, sometimes we think of idolatry as things that are awful, you know, drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality. Can those be idols for sure? No doubt about it. But sometimes good things can be idols. I, I used to say things earlier on in my Christian maturity that I thought were super spiritual. That like, man, if... If all I had in the world was my family and Jesus, I would be okay. And again, that sounds like a really spiritual, godly statement. But it revealed my idolatry. Did anybody catch that? That as long as I have my family and Jesus, I'm okay. You take my family away, Jesus isn't enough. That's problematic. And so for me, I had to search my heart and say, if God took my family away tomorrow, would Jesus still be enough? Or would I be angry at God? Would I be bitter with God? Would I run from God? Would I rebel against God because he didn't give me what I wanted and I deemed necessary? So again, we've got we to dig in our hearts and find out, is there something that is more valuable to me than God is? Hey, if your house is on fire and you're running out, what would you take with you? Now, again, maybe it's a family heirloom or some gift that your grandmother gave you or something like that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. My wife says, you know, she tried to grab all of our family photos and get them out. Uh, I bought my wife a Bible, man, 23 years ago now. She's written nearly every sermon she's ever listened to her entire life. She's written in this Bible, and the, the cover's falling off of it. We've got to get it rebound. And there's an entire section of the Bible that just pulls out. I mean, just busted to pieces. And she said, I would grab my Bible if the house is on fire. Good. But would we 
grab something that's of lesser value. Oh, I want to grab that dress that makes me look really skinny, you know? I want to grab those, that pair of shoes, you know? Hey, I got a, a pair of Air Jordan 1s that I want to grab out of the house that burn. Hey, what? Again, I'm just trying to ask you to dig a little bit deeper in your heart and find out if there's any idols. What person, thing, or experience are you most fearful of losing? I mean, again, is there something in your life that if you lost, you say, hey, my life's over? I've known people before who say, hey, if I lost my job, man, my life would just be over. If I lost the respect of my coworkers, like life isn't even worth living. And let me just tell you this. Not all, but many times, deep depression and suicidal thoughts come from idolatry. Not every time. And again, it's not a blanket statement. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. I'm, I'm a pastor with a lot of biblical wisdom and a lot of life experience. And I can tell you that when relationships fall apart, we deem ourselves unvaluable, unlovable, and not worthy of even living. And what happened? We took God out of his rightful place, and we don't want to listen to who God says we are. I want to listen to who my ex-boyfriend says that I was. I want to listen to who my ex-girlfriend says that I was. I want to listen to who my parents, who weren't great parents, say who I was. And then now I value what they say about who I am more than I value what God says about who I am. So when I take God out of his rightful place, I don't care what he says about me. I don't care about the value that I have to him. I'm going to place somebody else up here. And what they believe about me, that means everything to me. And if they think that I'm trash that can be discarded, I'm probably just trash that can be discarded. And, and then, but what happened? It all started with idolatry. I took God out of his rightful place and I wanted this thing more than anything in the world to the point where I wanted it more than I really wanted God. Who or what do you love the most? Again, not wrong to love people. I, I tell our single adults all the time, find someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. That's somebody worth dating. That's worth somebody committing your life to. Because their allegiance is not to you, it's to Jesus first. Because here's the thing, in marriages, you're going to need that down the road. Because I need my wife to be so loyal to Jesus that she says things to me that are uncomfortable, difficult, and sometimes even hurtful because her loyalty lies to Christ first and to me second. Lisa, so your wife puts Jesus above you? Absolutely. And I'm thankful that she does. And I place Christ above my love for my wife. And you say, well, that's not very nice. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says this. If you're not willing to hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, you can't be my disciple. Now, he's not talking about literally hating them. He's talking about your love for me should be on such a different level that there's this massive disparity on the way that you love me versus the way you love everybody else. And so I have, here's the thing, to be a husband and a father that leads my family well, I have to love Jesus more than I love my family. Have to. Because if I don't, 
I've taken God out of his rightful place and I put him in second place and I put my family above that and it's called idolatry. What's the source of your joy? Now again, that's a little bit of a trick question because we know that joy comes from the Holy Spirit. There are times in my life that I really thought by buying that car I would find joy. I really thought by Man, getting away to that place I've always wanted to go to, I'd find joy waiting for me there. There were times that I thought a change of address, whether it be across town or across the world, would bring me happiness. But what you fail to realize is wherever you go, there you are. Change of address often doesn't fix anything at all. And so is there something that you thought would bring you that lasting fulfillment? There's only one person that can do that, and his name is Jesus. And any time you look for that fulfillment and satisfaction, I don't care what you're looking for it in, you will be disappointed because your idols will fail you. Psalm 115, verse number one, the children of Israel say, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. For thy mercy and thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where now is their God? But our God's in heaven. He's done whatsoever he pleased. Here's what the heathen have their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. What the psalmist is saying here is when you make an idol, you lose the ability to truly experience the life God intended you to. They make these idols, these statues that can't see, can't touch, can't walk, can't smell. And when you put your faith in something else, you disconnect from the reality that God created so that you can't touch, you can't walk, you can't smell, you can't see, you can't experience life the way God intended because you made another God that's really a fake that's going to let you down. I'm subscribed to way too many email lists my inbox, I get, I get probably 150 to 200 emails a day. Uh, and so when, when you say, Pastor, did you get my email? I probably did. I'm just trying to triage my life. And so I haven't gotten to it yet. So, but it, if, it's, if it's been more like, than like three or four days, you haven't got a response, you need a response, hit me back, please. Uh, text me or call me or something like that. But I, I got an email that caught my attention because we're going through this series in Romans and we're talking about idolatry. And the title of the, the article that was listed in this email is Pastors Identify, identify Modern Day Idols and Comfort Tops the List. I thought, huh, how about that? And so, man, click on that article, and it brings up this incredible chart listing pastors and what they identify for their congregations as the primary idols in order. Comfort, control, security, Money, approval, success, social influence, political power, and sex or romantic love are listed as the top eight idols that pastors identify in their own congregations. Now, again, you look at the, is, is comfort wrong? Is it a sin to have comfort? No. Again, we got AC on today. Nothing wrong with being comfortable. But do you put comfort above everything else? Is it the most important thing? And again, we're, we're, we're prone to, to complain. 
when we don't get what we want. My, my wife told me this week, I love my wife. She's an amazing woman. Sweetheart, it is so hot outside, I don't even want to go outside. And like I pull up the weather app on my phone, it's like 83. <laughs> like, babe, we lived in the Mojave Desert in California. It's like 115 there right now, right? 83, I know, but it's so hot. Some of you are sitting in here in, in church this morning, you're freezing to death. How could it be so wretched? You could hang meat in this place, right? <laughs> I always tell people, if you're looking for the, the warm spot in the auditorium, are you ready? It's right up here on this little, and so we're going to get like an amen corner and set up chairs over here, but you have to stay awake and you have to say amen if you're going to sit in the amen corner, but it's warm up here, okay? Uh, but, but again, comfort tops our list. Would you be willing to come to church next Sunday if it was 84 degrees in here and you sweat through the entire service? You'd be like, I would come, but I would pray that you would preach really quickly. Uh, but again, are we willing to chase comfort above all else, uh, control or security? Again, we look at this, is, is it wrong to have a plan? Is it wrong to have a budget? No. Is it wrong to want to take control of everything? Sure, because at the end of the day, you're not in control of anything at all. Your heart's still beating in your chest because God allows it. You woke up and were able to put your feet on the floor because God allowed it today. You're not in control of anything at all. One of the most fascinating things to me about this article was that, I, I forget what it was, it was, it was a significant, it was like 35 to 40% of pastors surveyed identified that their church congregation had no idols whatsoever, no problem with idolatry. I'd love to pastor a church like that, you know? Where are those churches? And then I realized, somebody's just not paying attention. Because John Calvin says that the heart is a perpetual idol factory. You find an idol that doesn't satisfy, okay, I'll slide it to the side, I'll put another idol in its place. That doesn't work, I'm going to slide it and put another idol in its place. Because I just want to find something that brings satisfaction as long as it's not God. Because God like has rules and he expects stuff from me and I'm like, I got to do what he says. So as long as it's not God, I'm willing to put anything else in its place. One author put it this way, when you pull up your emotions by the roots, you'll often find your idols clinging to them. I thought that was interesting. That the fruit problem that we have of our feelings, if we pull up the root of those emotions, where do they come from? They likely come from idolatry. Where does your anxiety come from? Where does your fear come from? Where does your, you know, need for control come from? Where does your anger come from? You pull up the roots, whatever's underneath there likely identifies. Maybe your anxiety comes from a fear of losing your children, something bad happening to them, so you're overly anxious about that. We had a uh, parenting seminar several months ago, and one of our folks, she's a, a therapist, gave this beautiful chart called the anger iceberg. And basically it's like iceberg sticking out of the water and underneath the water is the things you can't see. But the top of the iceberg is anger. But then underneath the part that you can't see were things like shame, guilt, embarrassment, disappointment, entitlement, frustration, sadness, depression, that all these things came across on the root as anger, but really underneath there was some, some much deeper problem somewhere else. But you know what all those are? 
It, it's, it's idolatry. It's a need to be in control. It's a need to have what I want, when I want it, how I want it, on my terms with no questions asked. But to adopt idolatry and to pursue our fleshly desires, we have to deny the truth. Again, if we take a look at Romans chapter 1 in our Bibles this morning, verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. So again, for me to adopt idolatry, to pursue the things I want to, I have to deny the truth that God is enough. Yeah, he's not enough. And now, get this, I've got to make up my own story about how life can exist without God. So again, if, if we back up verse number 18 in our text, Romans 1.18, they hold down, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I know that God's God, but I'm going to set him to the side. I'm going to push him back in the corner so that I can make up my own story. Maybe about how God failed me, or God is no good, or I prayed and God didn't come through for me, so I found something else that will. Or how God's rules don't apply to me any longer because my situation is different, therefore I can do whatever I want and God can't tell me otherwise because God doesn't really know what he's talking about. Or the Bible is this book that's thousands of years old and doesn't apply to our situation today because things are different now. Whatever the case, to live in idolatry, you have to deny the truth. You have to deny the rules that God has set forth. And again, you can make up any excuse that you want to, but at the end of the day, it's just an excuse that you don't want to obey God. And, and again, you choose to disobey God, the rest of Romans chapter 1 tells you how your life is going to wind up. The sin of idolatry actually dishonors God. Why? Because it says God... I know you've given me a lot, but it hasn't been enough. God, I know that you've looked out for me, but you've actually failed me. God, I know you gave me a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't the stuff that I really wanted. What I really want, you can't provide. So I'm going to do things my own way because you have failed me. <laughs> have any of your kids, parents will love this, have any of your kids ever said to you, like, you've never done anything for me? <laughs> what? You can't be serious. Like, I didn't even carry you for nine months. <laughs> and like, I'm angry at that statement, right? I had to run get Taco Bell and Pizza Hut breadsticks at 10 o'clock at night while you were in your mother's womb, okay? I did my part. But like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've never done anything. Are you serious? I don't know if you've ever had your kids say that to you, but like, you want to talk about like, oh, you don't even know the half of it. Imagine how God feels when you say, hey God, I'm kind of moving you over to this side because I got this new God that's going to be a lot better for me. And his name is pornography. Wait, what? Hey God, I know you... You've been there, but you haven't really done what I wanted you to do. And so I got this new God I'm going to worship, and his name is Career. Wait, what? Imagine how 
dishonoring that is to God. How disrespectful it is him to say, hey, of everything you've done, everything that you've provided, it just hasn't been enough. It's dishonorable to God to, to choose to serve idols. So here's what God says. Okay, have your idols. So the punishment of man is being given over to his own evil. Okay, fine. You want it? Go for it. You want to serve your career? Go for it. Because there's coming a day when you punch the clock for the last time and you walk out and you realize that career didn't mean as much as you thought that it did. There's going to come a day where that paycheck that you think is so fat right now isn't, doesn't go as far as you thought that it did. So go ahead, have it. Indulge yourself. Again, if we take a look at our text in Romans chapter 1, take a look at uh, verse number 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to the uncleanness through their lusts. Go ahead, have it. It's yours. Verse number 26, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Go ahead, take it. Verse number 28, even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Go ahead. You want to chase the sin of this world, God says you're welcome to it. God will not compete with your idols. There's no desire. Here's the thing, God wouldn't compete with your idols because it's an embarrassment for him to even have to be placed on the same level as him. That's dishonoring and disrespectful for him. It's like some four-year-old coming up to me and challenging me to a fist fight. Please. No, I really want to fight you. Bro, you win. Like, I'm not. Why? Because the disparity is so different. And somebody might say, I've been training my kid since he's two, year old, two, year, two years old to fight you. <laughs> That's disrespectful to me. Same thing to God. God's just like, wait, you're going to put me on the same level as sexual immorality? No, 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 no. You can have it. Go ahead. Chase after it. And the punishment for man's sin is being given over to his own evil. And the dishonor of God begins a dishonor of self. Again, we take a look at verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to what? Dishonor their own bodies between themselves. God says, you want to dishonor and disrespect me? I'm going to allow you to disrespect your own bodies. I'm going to allow you to live your life in such a way so that you are visibly dishonored. That people can just look at your life and go, wow, what a wreck that is. Because when the glory of God is attacked, the dignity of man suffers. Here's the thing that, that we as Christians need to understand. This is why worship is so important. The most important thing in all of the universe to God is not mankind, is not the salvation of mankind, it's not even you and I. The number one most important thing to God in all of the universe is this, the glory of God. That's it. Now, does God love you? Sure. Is God willing to save you from your sins? No doubt about it. But God saves you from your sin because he loves you and because it glorifies him. He saves you out of the mess that you're in for his glory. 
So here's the thing. If God places his glory as preeminent importance and mankind tries to attack the glory of God, God's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Don't touch that. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You're going to get hurt if you touch that. God says, you want to dishonor me? No, no, no. You're going to be the one that gets dishonored. Again, that might sound really mean. Wow, how can a loving God do that? No, 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 no. Again, read the text. God is giving you precisely what you want. You don't want God. You don't want to glorify God. You just want what you want. And God says, fine, have it. It's not what you think it is. I remember as a kid, I was going through the cabinets. I was hungry and couldn't find anything that I wanted to eat. Uh, I was probably, I don't know, five or six years old. Going through the cabinets, couldn't find anything. And I found a, a jar of chocolate called Hershey's Cocoa Powder. And I thought, jackpot. There's a whole jar of chocolate that, like, nobody's, like, Open it up, it's like full. Like, what? And so I asked my mom, hey, mom, can I have this? And she goes, it's not what you think it is. No, it says Hershey's. It's chocolate. Can I have it? My mom's like, it's not what you think it is. It's, it's actually bitter. It doesn't taste good at all. And I said, mom, I just want it. And you know what she said? Go for it. <laughs> oh, man, I was so excited. Like, I sat down at the kitchen table. I got a, a bowl out. I began to, like, spoon it over into my bowl. Like, I'm so excited. I got a spoon. I sat down, and I stuck it in my mouth. It's just like, ah. And then because it's all dry, it like sticks to your tongue and like you can't get it out and you try to spit, but it won't go. And you try to drink water and it tastes like bitter, nasty filthiness running down your throat and it feels like dirt in your mouth. And you're like, bah. <laughs> and then what did I say? Why did you let me do that? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. For those of you who don't know, that's called a courtesy laugh. Like, <laughs> wasn't really funny, but I don't want him to feel bad about himself, so I'm going to laugh. And so, God bless you. But again, many times we're like that with God. We're just like, hey, God, I really want this. And God's like, no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Okay, fine, have it. It won't bring you what you thought it would. It's not going to provide the satisfaction that I can provide. And our dignity suffers. Idolatry, here's the thing too. Now we're getting into to, to the deep part of Romans chapter 1. Again, when we take a look at verse number 25, uh, 26. For this cause, God gave them up to their vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise, also man, leaving the natural use of a woman, burning their lust towards one another. Men working with men, that which is unseemly, and receiving themselves that recompense of their error, which is meat. Now, again, in the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a look at what the Bible says about sexual immorality, specifically in this text here. It's going to get hard. It's going to get heavy. But I promise you this. It's not going to be crude. It's not going to be graphic. It's not going to be inappropriate. It's just going to be biblical, Okay. But it's important to understand when we talk about idolatry and the end results of idolatry, idolatry begins to distort God's gift of marital sexual intimacy. God's given us sex inside of marriage to glorify him, to draw us closer to our spouse. It's a gift that God's given. But when we take sex and say, I don't want it the way God intended it with my spouse, who I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, inside the balances, I want to do something else with it. I want to take it outside of that. The moment that you take sex outside of a marriage relationship, it immediately becomes sin wherever you drop it. 
100% of the time. And this beautiful thing that God created, we've now distorted and perverted it. Sex is a beautiful thing within the confines of a marital relationship. Within marital, get this word, worship. When sex is done the way that God intends, inside the boundaries of marriage, between a husband and a wife who are committed to themselves for the rest of their lives, it's a beautiful, God-glorifying, oneness-creating act of worship. When a husband and wife experience sexual intimacy inside the boundaries of their marriage, we can say, God, thank you for this gift that you've given us to love each other, to experience something with one another that we'll never experience with another human being for the rest of our life. God, you're so good to us. It's an act of worship. But the moment that you take it outside of worship, you know what gets attached to sex? Guilt, shame, embarrassment, self-hatred, disgust. Regret, harm, damage. Why? Because we took God out of his place and we took our own gratification and put it in its place and God gave us exactly what we wanted but we found out it wasn't what we wanted after all. And so inside its intended use, it's an act of worship, it's a God-gratifying union inside marriage. Outside of its intended use, sex is sin and idolatry. No other way to, to, to cut this. And again, read through the rest of Romans chapter 1. Take a look at our society today. You'll find that we are a society that is completely and totally given over to sexual idolatry. 100%. You can't get around it. You can't walk through the mall and someone's selling something that doesn't have to do with sex. It's just connected to everything that, that we have. A- again, We've taken things that were beautiful inside the confines of marriage and we perverted it into something that was never intended to be. And now we've taken it a step further because no longer do we need sex to sell products. Now we not only need to take the sexuality of women and use them as sex objects to attract us to buy stuff. Now we're going to take it one step further and we're going to take men and have them dress like women and present themselves in a sexual manner to sell products, to get TV ratings, to do whatever's necessary. Why? Because we have this need to get more, to push the boundaries, to push the envelope of what God says is appropriate. Why? Because we left God a long time ago. We don't need God. We're smarter than God. Again, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We don't need God. We got our own thing going on. And again, if you look at this and go, wow, that's really offensive. Please understand, I'm just trying to stay with what the Bible says. And the Bible says women left the use of a man and found sexual fulfillment in one another. Men left the need for women and found sexual fulfillment in one another. And so we see that this sexual deviancy is God's judgment. When it comes to our nation, embarrassing. $13 billion a year are spent on pornography alone. That hurts my heart. Like, like, seriously, we got veterans that aren't being well cared for that have served our country. We're going to spend $13 billion on pornography? Like, California made a decision last week. Praise God, California finally did something right. We're, we're going to feed every kid who comes to public school lunch. Okay. But we're going to spend $13 billion on pornography. What? You, you know, we, we got... Things that are scraping by of caring for people, yet we're a country who spends 
$13 billion on pornography. It's estimated that 20% of mobile phone users have pornography on their device right now. It's estimated, this is shocking to me, but it shouldn't be shocking, that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women say that they're addicted to pornography. And again, I would be foolish to think that, that not counting somebody in this room who has taken God off of his place and you place pornography back on that pedestal. Let me just tell you this. If that's you, I love you, I am for you, but you cannot continue to live that way. There's help for you. I'm willing to walk with you through that. I want to give you the help that you need, but you cannot live that way because it will destroy your soul. And there's zero judgment coming from this guy to help you with what ails you, but you cannot live this way. It will destroy you. And you think that's just among Christian men, Christian women. And again, this used to be like, hey, guys, you need to straighten up. This is a, a lady problem too. I was talking to a man several years ago probably in his late 20s, and uh, he's struggling with pornography. Hey, man, how long have you been addicted to pornography? I don't know, about 20 years. I started to do the math like, dude, you're 27. I know. What? The average exposure to pornography in America is the age 10, 10 or 11, depending on which study you read. That means if you have a kid in, like, fifth grade, you haven't had a conversation with them, you need to, like, real quick. Because this is not something that you have to go looking for anymore. This is something that finds you. Why? Because we live in a culture that has said everybody needs access to this. We're going to push the envelope further and further and further. Why? Because we don't need God anymore. And if you say that marriage is, sex is just for marriage, you're a prude. Like seriously, like you're like a, you're like a Quaker. Like you should like get a long black dress and like ride a, a buggy to work. Like people don't do that anymore these days, guys. Why? Because God's no longer God. We're wise. You're not. God's the fool because we've replaced that God with the creation rather than the creator. Pornography is a worship issue. Pornography is an idolatry issue. Again, we're swapping the creation worship for the creator. Look, here's, I'm just going to give you the facts. In my history as a pastor, in the last nine years of who we call about a church, who we call a church, nine in October, in the history as your pastor, I've had probably seven or eight guys come to me and confess their struggle with pornography and probably two ladies, which amounts to about 10 people over a course of nine years that have admitted to it. And I've had probably three dozen men come to me because they got caught, they blew up their life, they lost their job, their wife's about to leave them to confess it. So I always tell people, get out ahead of this. Recognize it for what it is. It's idolatry. It's a sin. It's going to destroy your life. And again, you dishonor God by replacing him with, with fake garbage. He has no responsibility to honor you. So again, come back to a worship issue. And sexual deviancy is the ultimate judgment for idolatry. We don't need God anymore, so what happens? We devolve as a society into a society that has no need for God. We're smarter than God, and now we have plunged to the depths of sexual deviancy. And this is, God says, hey, you want it, you can have it. And this is what we become. We become a nation who doesn't have a problem with it anymore. We used to see... Drugs is something that, you know, awful people did. Where now we begin to welcome it into society and had the questions like, should drugs even be illegal anymore? Hey, look, stand on Waimanu Street for about a week and ask the question, should drugs be legalized? I think you'll find the answer really quickly. But what happened? 
We don't need God anymore. This, this book is just like 2,000 years old. Come on. You're smarter than that. I'm smarter than that. We can make our own decisions. We don't need somebody to tell us what to do. Who is God anyways? What has he done for you lately? Is God paying your bills this month? Please. We don't need that. And we left that. And we became wise in our own eyes. It's important to understand when we come to Jesus, though, Jesus doesn't give idols. He's sufficient in himself. Please don't come to Jesus thinking to, I'm going to come to Jesus and all my problems are going to go away. I'm going to come to Jesus and I'm going to get that promotion at work. I'm going to come to Jesus and my bank account's going to go up. I'm going to come to Jesus and my cancer's going to go away. I'm going to come to Jesus and my, my parents are going to love me and accept me back again. Please understand, Jesus is not an idol giver. He is sufficient in himself. Hey, look, single adult, you don't come to Jesus and then he's going to give you the spouse that you always dreamed of. You come to Jesus because Jesus is enough. Hey, married couple whose marriage has fallen apart, you don't come to Jesus because he's the one thing that can fix your marriage. You come to Jesus because he's worthy. Will he give you those things? Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but he doesn't give idols, that's for sure. Oh, if I come to Jesus, my kids are going to get into that school they want to go to. If I come to Jesus, he's going to give me that job that I really want. If I come to Jesus, we're going to be able to get pre-approved for that house that we're looking at. No, 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 no. You come to Jesus because Jesus is Jesus. He's enough. Again, I don't need Jesus plus a house. I just need Jesus. He has to be enough. And, and any so-called religion that presents Jesus as a way to unlock everything that you want out of life is false Christianity. Again, our city is proliferated with garbage preaching churches that say, Jesus wants you to be rich. Jesus wants to give you that new Ferrari. Jesus wants you to drive a Mercedes. Jesus wants your bank account to continue to increase. Your wealth is a sign of God's blessing on your life. God wants you to have everything that your heart desires. That's garbage, fake Christianity. Because the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, didn't even have a place to lay his head. The Apostle Paul, who we would probably say one of the godliest Christians ever lived, was shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, thrown in prison. He definitely wasn't prospering by that garbage definition of your bank account increasing. So what happens when we become idolaters? How do we fix it? How do we resolve it? What's the solution for idolatry? Very first and foremost is repentance. I got to change my heart and get it right. Friend, please understand this. If you get nothing else out of today's message, hear this. You've broken God's law. You've become an idolater. And because of that, you deserve to go to hell. I do too. That's what the Bible says. We've broken God's law. We're all in danger of God's judgment. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. He, Jesus became our sin, died on the cross as payment for my sin and for yours. So that we don't have to go to hell. But you must put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin. He's the only way. Jesus died for your sins, but you have to believe that and receive his payment. We call that being saved or born again. Friend, have you been saved if you died today, are you sure that you're born again? If you say, I don't know, or if you say no, please understand, you're going to die and you're going to go to hell. That's what the Bible says. That's what I deserve. It's what you deserve. But if you're willing today to come to a place of faith and 
repentance, which means change. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. Friend, you can be saved in a split second. You don't have to walk forward. You don't have to talk to a pastor. You don't have to be baptized or go to a class. But you must be born again. Because if not, you continue to read through Romans, it tells you the fate of the idolatry, and it is bad, bad, bad. But for those of us that are saved and born again, idolatry creeps into our lives too. You think pastors are immune from that? You think pastors don't go through that? I went to a conference that was held at, at the church that I served at on staff for 10 years. I went to the conference last year. And pastors get together, we begin to talk, and they say, oh, what's your name? I'm Anthony King. Where do you pastor? Oh, I pastor the Hui Kala Baptist Church in, in Honolulu. We're a church plant. We just got started, man, at the time last year, eight years ago. Oh, that's awesome. Next question. Anybody want to guess? How big is your church? People hate my answer. About 7,000 square feet. <laughs> I mean, our auditorium probably, you know, fit maybe... 295, we pack them in really, really tight. Fire code's 300, so we couldn't do more than 300. Well, I mean, like, no, like, like, like how big's your church? Well, 7,000 square feet. And I play dumb because I'm not playing into that game. You know, I'm not. Because here's the thing, why? Because we ask that question because we're measuring up, right? Oh, you pastor 25 people in Oklahoma. That's cute. That's, that's really sweet. How long have you been there? 10 years. Oh, God bless you. Oh, wow, you you pastor in San Francisco, a church of 2,500, and you've been there for three years? Tell me more. Well, I I respect you now. What is that? It's idolatry. And look, for the guy, and again, I know this because I've been there. For the guy who says he runs 200, 200 is like the max that he would ever run if, like, everybody showed up. He's probably running, like, 160, 150. He just doesn't want to say that because he's embarrassed. Why? Idolatry. I can't play it. I'm not going to play it. Because it affects my heart. Pastors aren't exempt from that. What do we do? We repent. I'm going to change. I can't live like this anymore. I'm taking whatever's most important to me off the shelf, and I'm putting God back up where he belongs because he alone is worthy. Look, I do what I do as a pastor of this church, whether we have five people here or 5,000 people here. I do it because I do it for Jesus, not for you. Man, if you hate my guts and you hate our church and you thought today's message was a bummer, I'm really, really sorry if I failed you or let you down in some way. But please understand, I wasn't trying to entertain you today. I wasn't trying to tell you what I thought would get you to come back next week. <laughs> Especially if you're a first-time guest, you probably heard this. You're like, uh-uh, I'm done here. Like, <laughs> never again. So, somebody came last week. They were on vacation, thankfully. Uh, and they said... Pastor, I've been in church my whole life, and I've never heard the word wrath so many times in one sermon. <laughs> Thank you? <laughs> Was that a compliment? I'm not sure. Here, here's the bottom line. When I recognize that I've got something in place, I've got, I've got to repent. I've got to fix it. Secondly, I've got to make sure that I have proper worship through priorities. I've got to set the things that are most important, and I've got to make sure that my worship matches those things. When it comes to priorities, please understand your priorities aren't what you say they are. Your priorities are what you live. Oh, my faith's my number one priority. How much time did you spend with God this past week in hours? Well, I spent like three minutes before I walked out the door for work for a 10-hour shift. Okay. So what's your first priority? What's your second priority? Oh, no, no, no. My faith's my first. How many hours did you spend with God? 
Again, your priorities aren't what you say they are. Your priorities are what you actually live. So let's get our priorities straight. Again, if entertainment is your, is your idol, by all means, check out on the couch or watch Netflix for six hours. Don't touch your Bible. And then at the end of the day, say you didn't have time. That's fine because you're living out your priorities and you're worshiping your idols. But if I say that God's important, I got to make sure that he really is important. And again, for our family, we made a decision man, 20 plus years ago. If the church doors are open, our family is going to be there because we worship God on the Lord's day. First place, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, our family's going to be there because we want to place importance on the things God places importance on. Now, I'm not saying if you don't come on Sunday nights, you're a terrible Christian, you're not committed, or you worship, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you need to examine your heart. And look, for us, family time has always been on Sundays, time around the Word together as a family. It just has. Has been for the last two decades. And let me just tell you this, my family's better as a result of it. I guarantee you that. And finally, the fix for idolatry, praise. You and I can make a laundry list of the way that our idols have failed us, disappointed us, frustrated us, left us wanting more. But you can't do that for God. All you can do is praise. If you take time every day to praise God, you'll find that your heart will change. I don't know what kind of music you listen to throughout the week, but I encourage you to listen to worship music because it draws your heart towards the heart of God. Again, I'm not talking about radio, pop, Christianity. I'm talking about real deal worship music. It does something to your heart. Man, I was, I was listening to a song this past week and just, like, I literally had to pull the car over to the side of the road because, like, I was just, like, smitten by the truth of that. I can't even drive. And I just took a moment to praise God for his faithfulness, his goodness. I want you to live a life like that. I don't want your worship to be relegated to a Sunday morning for a couple of hours. No, no, no. I want you to live a life of worship. If you've got idolatry in life, get rid of it so you can see things clearly. The way God intended, most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, please, please, please put your faith and trust in Jesus today alone because he can save you from your life of idolatry and sin. Christian, if you're here today and you've took, taken God off the shelf, put him back where he belongs today because he's worthy. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.